You know, I saw a sign the other day that said, due to the increasing cost of power, the light at the end of the tunnel has now been turned off. <laughs> Does that sound about right? You know, I don't know what it's like in your place, but for the Blairs to try and save money on the cost of electricity, we have absolutely minimum lights on at night these days. You know, we are needing to live effectively in darkness, even though we have the ability to live in the light. Our house is blessed with lots of downlights. And if we turned all our lights on at night, you'd be able to see it from space, our house. It's got so many lights in it. But we choose not to. We choose to have minimum lights, almost no lights on at all at night. We make that conscious decision to happen to do that. Now, our choice to do that is an economic one. But the sad reality is that the vast majority of people in their lives make the same decision, make the same conscious choice to live in the darkness when it comes to their spiritual lives as well. They have the opportunity to live in in the light, but they say, no, the cost is just too great for me to live in the spiritual light, or that I don't actually need to live in the light. Thank you very much. Darkness is fine by me. What choice have you made? And economically or spiritually when it comes to this particular issue? You see, we are going through a series at the moment that is called Living in the Light. And I would contend that it is always better, that it is always better living in the light than living in darkness. And that's the series that we've been going through in recent weeks, although last week we interrupted the series just for a week as we talked about the future of the church. But this week we're getting back on track with this series to talk about the spiritual and life realities of living in the light. Now this light is not something that is some inanimate object, like it's either there or it's not. It's not like some force from Star Wars. This light is is from God and this light is God. And if you lived in the light, it can profoundly change the way that you live. Now, in case that you are joining us for the first time in church today, whether it be in the room or online, or maybe this is the first time you've been here for this series, let me just catch you up on the things that we've talked about so far. In week one, we talked about living in the light of purpose. Now, if you have seen the movie The Blues Brothers, you know that the main character there had a profound God experience. He went along the church and the light, God's light just shone straight down on him and he goes, I know what I've got to do in my life. I've got to get the band back together again. It's all about the band. So this, the light, the main character seeing the light gave him a purpose for his life. Now, way back in the very beginning when all of this that we know in our existence was created, God said, let there be light. And when God said those words, an expression of his purpose that he would bring into all that is created. You see, everything that God does has a purpose behind it. And so if we are living in the light, then we are living in the very purpose of God. And the purpose of God is this. See, the purpose of God has now been extended to all of his created entity everywhere in which you and I are part of that. So God's purpose comes into our lives and God's purpose for you is this. God's purpose is for you to help him help people. That's your purpose. Help God 
help people. That's what we talked about in week one. And then we talked about in week two about living in the light of God's wisdom. Now, by living in the light, we may have a purpose for our life. But that doesn't mean we always live that purpose out well. It doesn't always mean that we honour the intent of that purpose. You know, God's light of wisdom tells us how we are to live as we go about fulfilling the purpose that he has given us. And this light of wisdom, this wisdom about how we are to live our lives, the way that God would want us to, affects every one of our relationships and interactions with people. It affects our relationship with God and it even impacts the way that we treat and care for ourselves. Now, Edwina told us that this light of wisdom is primarily found in the pages of the Bible. And through the work of the Holy Spirit who reveals this truth, who reveals this wisdom to us about how we are to live our lives to fulfill the purpose of which God has shined his light into our lives. But then Diane, in the third week, she spoke about the light of hope, living in the light of hope. You see, why the living in the light of hope is important is because even though that we may have a purpose for our lives, And even though that we may do everything we possibly can to live God's ways, how many of us would say that things don't always go to plan? That rarely do things always go to plan. Like we talked about last week, it's a squiggly line everywhere. And often when we go, we'll have a squiggly line type existence, we go, what is going on? I'm trying to do everything that God wants me to do. I'm trying to live his way, trying to fulfill his purpose, but everything's still turning pear-shaped. What's going on? Well, this is why we need to live in the light of hope. Because we recognise that it is hope in God will ultimately put things right. And we recognise that there are many things that are out of our control despite what we may do in trying to live in God's way. We ultimately know there's so much things that are out of my control that I have to let God ultimately make it happen. So I live in the hope of God's intervention to see things become as he would want them to be, to see things come as we would hope them to be. But they, we are leaving them in God's hands, even though I'm doing everything I can to honour the purpose and the wisdom of living his way. And that then brings us to this week. So that's a recap of the last couple of weeks. And that brings us to this week about living in the light of God's eternity. Now, in words which we could probably relate to more than any other in the Bible, the Apostle Paul writes these incredible words. He says, For I know the law, I know the wisdom of God, but I still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realise that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then do it anyway. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every single time. It happens so regularly, it's become predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. Now, I truly delight in God's commands, in his wisdom, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. 
And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. Does that in any way describe you? Because it certainly describes me. But then Paul goes on. He says, I'm at the end of my rope with all this stuff. Is there no one who can do anything for me? I mean, isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does help us. See, Jesus' death on the cross that Jennifer got us to remember just then in communion is to forgive me and forgive you for when we don't do what we, <laughs> what we want to do, or when we don't do the things that we should do through the wisdom of God. You know, when parts of us sabotage our godly intentions to live in the light of wisdom, Jesus' forgiveness is there. And Jesus continues to help us as well to overcome the self-sabotage that we bring into our lives. And he helps us by bringing the very presence and power of the Holy Spirit to transform us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. So Jesus has helped us and he continues to help those of us who can relate to Paul's words here as if it is telling your own story. Now, Jeff Hall next week is going to be talking about how we are to live in the light of Jesus because Jesus helps us profoundly, significantly, absolutely. But here's something to think about. God knows you and he knows every person completely. There is nothing that God does not know about you. He knows your good intentions that you may have. He knows, trying to make this not sound like a Christmas song, he knows your good intentions and he knows when you have messed up. God more than knows in the ways that you have changed and he knows where you still have to be different. God knows everything about you. But here's the amazing thing that you are still fully loved by him. Now, what is the most humbling yet incredible reality is that you are fully known and fully loved. God already knows everything about you and he loves you still. Hands up here today if you've been married for more than 50 years. How awesome is that, huh? How awesome is that? But I would imagine for those people who stuck up their hand to be married more than 50 years, guaranteed there is still something that your, your spouse does not know about you. And the reason why they don't know that about you is because you have chosen not to tell them. Because there are still some things that all of us keep secret from the ones that we love. Because we know that if we told them, they might not love us anymore. Or if we told them, Everything that we know, everything that we love, may all disappear. And so we keep those things secret. We keep those things private. Hoping above everything else that those deep secrets never become public. Particularly to the ones that we love. 
Does that sound about right? Is there things about you that you have kept secret, even from the person you've been married to for 50 years? I wonder. I wonder. But how incredible is it to think that God even knows your secrets? You see, the roof over this auditorium today does not make you invisible to God. The roof in your house doesn't make you invisible to God. It's not like the roof of your house now gives you special spiritual camouflage from God. And if you do something when no one else is around, that you think no one else sees, God still sees it. So the profound reality is that God knows everything about you. Even the things that are in the deepest recesses of your spirit and your soul, God knows it all about you. And yet, he still fully loves you. You are fully known, completely 100% known by God. And yet, he still fully loves you. That's a profound reality when you think about it. You may not be fully known to your spouse of 50 years, but you are fully known to your creator God. And see, the reason that we know that we are fully known and fully loved is because Jesus went to the cross for you. Jesus' death on the cross tells you that you are fully known and fully loved. Jesus didn't go to the cross simply for the stuff that you've told other people about. Jesus went to the cross for the things that you dare not say to anybody and that you hope that God has overlooked in your life. You know that you are fully loved, fully known and fully loved because Jesus went to the cross for you. What a profound reality that is. Now, how does Paul's words about the frustration that he feels and the frustration that you may feel about doing stuff that you don't want to do and not doing the stuff that you want to do, how does that relate to living in the light of eternity? Well, let's have a look at something that is in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Now, it's called the, the last book of the Bible is called Revelation because it has the author, the Apostle John, like, pulling back the curtain to give us a glimpse in what happens when God wraps up time and the end of days come to all created things. Now, interestingly, at the end of this revelation of the Apostle John, he records seeing something incredibly profound. And so as we read what he sees, I want you to pay attention to how many times the issue of light is mentioned. Or light is alluded to in his words. Let's see, if we, let's see if we can count them. This is what he writes. He says, And he, being an angel, carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I did not see the temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb, being Jesus, are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp is its, and, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. 
The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not, uh, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord will give them light and they'll reign forever and ever. Now this is a picture of God's eternal city, which all of those who go to heaven will occupy. Now, how many references to light did you see in that passage? How many allusions to light did you notice? Heaps, isn't there? So what do you picture from this description? See, what I picture is that being in God's presence the Father and the Son's presence, it's like his glory is just radiating out everywhere. It's just this glorious presence of the Lord in this holy city for all eternity. Now, as you know, but if you don't know, you might want to just take about 10 steps that way and look up. If you took 10 steps that way and looked up, you will see the sun. And the sun is brilliant in colour. It's the same colour. It's the same shape all the time. You know very well about the light and the warmth of the sun. Yet, by this description from the Apostle John, in this eternal city, the light of God is so bright and is so glorious that the people there don't need the sun anymore. But not only that they can actually look at this light. They can look at the very face of God and not have their eyes burnt out of their heads. They can be in a place where there's just this glorious light radiating out everywhere. And this light is personal and relational. Just think about what that description actually means about what people will experience in this eternal city in heaven. Now, when we often think of heaven, though, we may focus our attention to something else that the Apostle John writes in this revelation. Because elsewhere, a little bit earlier in chapter 21 of Revelation, he writes this, he says, I saw the holy city, this new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I looked and a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the bit that we often will remember. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now, we love this passage, don't we? We love this passage. I'm sure you've heard it before. You might have heard it at a funeral or some other place. Because, and why the reason that we love it is because the description in that says that our loved ones who may have suffered from illness or disability or pain, who are no longer with us, they're not experiencing that anymore. Or the people who have died because of persecution or injustice 
or those people who they spent the majority of their lives who their heart has just been weeping. They have no more physical tears. They are dehydrated completely from all the crime that they've done, but their heart continues to weep. And yet in this description, we see that God puts them right and puts the situations right. They comes, God comes and brings healing to these people. And that brings us great, great encouragement. But you notice the thing that's missing from this passage? There is no mention of light. There's no mention of light in this passage. You see, when we think of heaven, this eternal place of God, we may usually think fully healed, but we don't think fully changed. And there's a big difference between the two. You see, the light of eternity that eclipses and even makes our sun redundant is also there because light changes us. You see, the light of eternity pierces, pierces the darkest recesses of our spirits and our souls, the darkest places where you keep the secrets that you wish no one else would ever know about, even God. Notice in the description before, it talks about there being no more night, a generic no more night there, saying the darkness no longer exists in heaven. Now, we may understand that, but what we have to also appreciate is that there's not only no more night generically, but there's now now no darkness in you. Because the light of God has now pierced every deep recess of your very life. There is now no things that have kept away, now no things that are kept in the dark in your life that you've kept from everybody else. That is now open and has been pierced and the light of God has come into it. Meaning that there is now no darkness in you. You have been changed because of that light. That's incredible when you think about it. We like the concept, and in heaven, everybody, people get healed. But what we have to recognize is this in eternity, some are healed, but all are changed. Some are healed, but all are changed. So, what does living in the light of eternity mean for me today? Because clearly, I'm not living in eternity right now. The ponds is great, but it fades into comparison a little bit to heaven, I would imagine. See, because of my faith in Jesus, because of your faith in Jesus, one day we will be in eternity, but we're not there yet. See, my story is that through Jesus' presence in my life, my life has been radically transformed by the power of God. And I can tell you afterwards about all the different ways the power of God has transformed me completely. One of the ways that God has transformed my life by his power is when it comes to the issue of money. Previously, the priority of my life was material things. And so if you had a look at my budget, the number one item on my list was me buying 
material stuff, clothes, cars, wine, whatever it may be. That was the number one thing. Whenever my money comes in, I'm going to spend it on good stuff, nice stuff, things that make me feel good about myself. Right down the bottom was giving, which meant that I gave if there was anything left over, if I ever gave it all. And then God radically transformed me so that therefore it was completely changed on its head. The number one thing now in my life is giving. Whether Where I give to God, back to God, of the first things that I get. He is first in my giving. He is first in my finances. And then if I have any left over, maybe then I'll start thinking about something way down the bottom that may be good for me, that I'd like or whatever. Like that. That's the last, if I have any money left over at all after everything else. Now, this is just one way that my life has now been radically different. The power of God has changed me profoundly. But not everything has changed. In fact, there's some areas of my life that have actually gotten worse, despite my best intentions to live in the light of wisdom. See, that's why I can relate to Paul's words so much when he says, I keep on doing the stuff that I don't want to do. My life is a testimony to the power of God, but I still struggle. I struggle at times with fear. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I told you about my tendency to catastrophize or start fearing the worst case scenario, even though it's probably never going to happen. I start imagining it as if it is, start living as if the worst case scenario is about to unfold. I struggle sometimes with self-confidence. I mean, I don't know how many times I've sung, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, think I'll eat some worms. You know the schoolyard song? Yeah? Make no mistake about it. It's a ministry song. A struggle with pity parties. Instead of being thankful and appreciating that my cup actually overflows with the blessings of God, sometimes I think my cup is dry, not just half full or half empty. It's dry. There's no overflowing cup in my life. People, I'm a mess. God has done some incredible things in my life, but I am still a mess. And he knows all of this about me. And he forgives me, he forgives me regardless. He knows all the stuff that I don't dare tell you. And he still loves me. And he still forgives me. Fully known, fully loved, fully forgiven, but not fully changed. But not fully changed. And my struggle is, will I ever be fully free of that stuff, those darknesses that I keep on carrying through life? Will I ever be free of those things? 
because I can't seem to shake them, like Paul says. I can't seem to shake them. They always seem to continue following me around. And no matter how hard I try, they are still there. Is that what my eternity is going to be like, still taking all of those darknesses with me into heaven, into all eternity? You see, living in the light of eternity says that even though that I may struggle in those areas, this is not how it's going to be forever. That's the good news. I'm being changed all the time through the power of Christ. But I will ultimately be changed. I will be completely transformed one day. Now, I'm going to live in the light of God as he helps me each and every day, as he continues his good work in me. But I know and I have hope and I have faith that one day I will be exactly how God wants me to be. You see, so many of us go, this is just who I am. I can't be different. I can't change. This is it. And quite frankly, I don't want to change. Because even though things aren't great, I don't really want to be different. When you don't want to be different, when you don't want to change, and if you don't care about the way that God wants you to be, that defines you living in the light, living in the darkness. You're not caring about the way that God wants you to be epitomizes living in the darkness. And so what this message today about living in the light of eternity is to do, it is to give you a greater perspective that says, even though I am fully known and fully loved, affirmed by, the, by Jesus' death on the cross, I will be made perfect one day. That if I continue to live in God's light, I will be completely transformed one day. And I'm going to keep on going along that pathway. Because I am going to make sure that above everything else, even as I struggle, even though I know I have God do some incredible things in my life, but even though I may still struggle, my goal is still to be ultimately who God wants me to be. And I'm going to walk in that light and the light of eternity. I'm going to have an eternal perspective knowing that God will completely change me, transform me one day, even though I still struggle today. I'm going to choose not to live in the darkness. I'm going to choose to live in the light because I believe in the transforming, God-transforming power in my life that will be fulfilled one day when I get to that eternal city. If you don't care about how you are, if you don't care about how God wants you to be, can I suggest you turn on the lights And do Cliff Richards overacting <laughs> to live in the light of God because he wants to change and transform you. You are fully known and you are fully loved today and you are fully forgiven by Jesus. And one day you will be fully changed. Rejoin me in prayer. Lord God, I give you thanks and praise for the revelation of revelation. Lord, about the, what John speaks to us about, what he saw.
about what it means for you to wrap up time and to see all those who love you, all those who want to choose to live in your light will happen to them. We know, Lord God, that some will be healed into you when they come into your presence. But we know that all will be changed because your glorious light will pierce even the darkest parts of every single one of us. And there will be no more darkness in us. There will only be light. And light is, is as you would have it be. Lord, I want to pray for anybody listening to my voice right now who's having a conviction about who they are and about their sin that they have done and the freedom that comes from Jesus Christ. The freedom that comes from knowing that we are fully known yet fully loved. That we are fully known but yet fully forgiven through what Jesus has done. There may be people in the room right now, maybe people online who wants to come and acknowledge what Jesus has done in their lives for them right now. And if that is anyone listening to my voice right now, Lord God, that you may give them the courage to respond to that in these next few moments where they come and acknowledge their need for you and the desire to be embraced by your love. But for those of us, Lord God, who continue to feel like that we're getting nowhere in our lives and we keep on messing up all the time and that we can't be different, Lord, encourage them so very profoundly today, knowing that you will transform them, that you will change them to the person that you want them to be. Progressively through this life, but ultimately in all eternity. All that we need to do is keep on living in your light for us to be different people. Encourage anybody listening to my voice right now, Lord God, who had that may describe them. And Lord, if there's anybody here right now in the room who needs prayer for anything that you have convicted them of by your Holy Spirit right now, give them the courage to stand and come and seek prayer for those things. Lord, I give you thanks and praise for the significance of this message today, for your word to us, to encourage us to keep walking in the light, keep on living in your light. We thank you now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.